0: Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio. We're a podcast dedicated to uncovering the grit that make founders, entrepreneurs, and innovative thinkers tick in one of the most crucial industries on the planet, supply chain. To learn more, you can check us out at InsideTheFounderStudio.com. But for now, let's hand it to our host, Ryan Schreiber.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Inside the Founder Studio. I'm Ryan Schreiber. Today I've got Spencer Tenney of the Tenney Group. Spencer uh, is is actually one of my favorite people in the industry. I don't know if I've ever told Spencer that, so this might be news to Spencer, Mm -hmm. but uh, one of the warmest, friendliest, um, most sort of sharing people. And and so I'm really glad to have him today uh, here with me. and I think that's actually a pretty high compliment, given given kind of also some of the other folks that I've had on this show. So indeed, really, I'm humbled. really thank you. Really excited to have you, uh, Spencer. Why don't you introduce yourself quickly and and maybe just introduce your company before we kind of get into your backstory and all that stuff?
2: Would love to. So um, Spencer Tenney, I'm the president and CEO of the Tenney Group. We're an industry specialized merger and acquisition advisory firm that's been dedicated to transportation and logistics since 1973 and um, so we have a team it's all we do and uh, our passion and our whole business model is designed to uh, primarily serve the interest of business owners that are in that 10 to 200 million in annual revenue um, for which have very complex needs some of which are financial some are which are not financial when it comes to transitioning ownership of their business and so um it's a pocket that uh there's so much personal wealth uh, tied up in there. And there's uh, so much people that are doing great things for our economy. It's just a great privilege to be able to serve those folks at a high level.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons... What you guys do is one of the reasons I thought, beyond beyond just being like a great dude and somebody <laughs> that I love. Every, I always enjoy every single time I get to talk to you. Um, it's a lot of fun. Kind of where you sit working with people um, who've built businesses who. Uh, are about to kind of like on the precipice of a really big life decision those are some interesting i think you know there's be some interesting insights in here um, for this podcast particularly as i've explained to you and anybody who listens you know it's more than just about ses- success it's also about fear of failure and imposter syndrome mm-hmm. i'd imagine that folks who are going through a sale process struggle with that thing th- that from time to time, like even kind of getting into thinking about selling their business. I'd imagine there's a little bit of uh, times where people are like, I'm excited about this, but I'm also, f- also like, well, what if it doesn't work? Like, what if it doesn't right. work out? And I've got to tell my, com- you know, my employees that the sale failed, or I got to tell my spouse or my friends that this fell through and I wasn't good enough. So I think that'd be interesting I, actually before we even get in your background can I just ask that on the front end like is that a real thing do people struggle with that on a regular basis I,
2: I think it's 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 much weightier than what people realize I think people um, there's the feel of it's the fear of failure but it's also the fear of success what if I mm-hmm. sell this business and the next person does things that I never even dreamed of doing mm. what does it say about me and my abilities and my identity so um, there's a lot Mm -hmm. to wrestle with uh, for founders who have built something who have it's their it's their life's work so it's a very personal thing Um, and so um, navigating through that that's why you know we talk about finance if it was just financial it would be easy um, to help people through that process but very rarely Mm -hmm. is is it just that
1: that's interesting to hear because right right, humans are human which is Mm -hmm you know, which, which I guess probably we lose sight of. And I, and I kind of hadn't thought about the, the fear of success angle, which is interesting. Somebody Mm -hmm. take, I was able to get the business this far. If somebody else gets it further than I was ever able to, does that mean that I wasn't good enough? That's interesting. I, I kind of hadn't thought, I hadn't thought about that. Um, before we go too far down that rabbit hole, um, tell like, why don't we kind of like, let's, let's talk about your story. Mm -hmm. Um, start maybe with uh what when what it was like growing up what it was like being i always like to say little whomever so what was it like <laughs> being little spencer like you know this is my infant son spencer you know what was that like where are you from uh, how did you grow up where did you grow up and uh, maybe take us through you know maybe up until kind of
2: like college sure so i grew up in arlington texas uh, that's right in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, some of, some folks know it because that's the house that Jerry built with the Dallas Cowboys there. Now it wasn't that way when I was growing up, but, um, great family growing up, uh, very close. Uh, there's a couple of key characteristics, uh, Friday night lights, football, um, uh, we we're a big, uh, football family. And then, uh, just hard work. We kind of had a reputation at my house that, um, Kind of, I think my dad just had a an ego thing. He wanted to be known as the hardest working family. So, like if on the weekends, people wouldn't come to our house. They would never spend the night because they knew my my dad would would give a list the next on Saturday morning. So it it, it, it kind of uh, affected our um, our uh, our social uh, agenda quite a bit. But you know that would be something that over time, I, I it really kind of gave a little bit of a swagger. My brother and I um, knew that we could probably outwork anybody. Just, um, we kind of resented it as we were growing up. By the time we got to high school, it was, it was definitely something that we took pride in, um, that we could work hard and we, we did stuff as a family and we, and we just produced, uh, whether that was, you know, working on the yard or taking on a project. Uh, but that was a big thing that we always did together. And, um, you know, at the time it did make sense. We kind of had to get dragged through it, but later on it was just, um, you kind of you see that had a lot to do with kind of wiring, um, the way that I am today.
1: Did you play football?
2: I did. I did. So what, I played. What positions you play? I was a I was a quarterback. Um,
1: uh, that was going to be my guess.
2: Yeah. So I played quarterback, um, and it was fun. I mean, play, playing at a large high school in Texas—that's that's about as as good as it gets. I wouldn't play one year college ball. Um, and, and in a little liberal arts college in, in Iowa, which was fun, but literally the, the experience was kind of a step down from what I was accustomed to
1: um, I
2: imagine. <laughs> And in high school in Texas. But uh, it was it, it was a great thing. I mean, teamwork. I always talk about football being a great teacher of life. My brother's actually, he's a high school football coach now. Oh, um, cool. But football is like the one game where everyone has to do their job right every single time. And Whereas in basketball, or even baseball, you can take several plays off and no one would be the wiser. But in football, mm-hmm. someone's going to notice. And I think that's kind of stayed with me as being a part of teams since then that um, everybody plays a role and everybody needs to be a part of doing their job in order to win. Otherwise, you c- can never get as far as you need to go.
1: That's um, – uh, w- was was there – was it like Varsity Blues? You remember the, the movie Varsity Blues? I don't oh, know how yeah. much was it like that? What did you ever have a moment with your dad where you were like, "I don't want you laugh"? The,
2: well, no? well, it was funny. Um, I mean, the, the specialization in high school sports now is it's it, it's gotten way more uh, intense than it was when I was there. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty. So I remember um, I was a sophomore, and I was about to. I knew I was going to be the starter in my junior season. I, but I also wanted to play baseball. So there was like this tension about like working out and getting ready for football. And so my head coach calls me in and he says, Hey, what, what's, what's the deal with this baseball stuff? I was like, well, I want to compete. I want to play baseball. He was like, He's like, like, really? He's like, sure. Go have fun. So that next night, it was the last night of like um, the final tryout. And I had one at bat and I had a triple And the, and then the next day I got cut and I was like, Hmm. Like yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess my coach doesn't want me to play two sports. It's done.
1: So, um, was it the same coach for both sports? No. no, no, but, no, of but, course not. But, yeah.
2: but the football coach, typically in, in Texas, is also the athletic administrator who kind of rules all. And so, um, but that's definitely kind of a little um, piece of that. Well, um, just lends into the way that football works in, in in Texas for sure. It was just it was crazy.
1: That's yeah. The thing about kind of your friends not staying over, it's funny. Uh, I've this. It, this wasn't a, like a regular occurrence. One of my best friends when we were in high school. I remember we, we were like third. Actually, we weren't in high school. I remember we were thirteen years old, and it was actually like right before the summer where I got my first job. But stayed over at my best friend's house, and uh, and his dad like came in in the morning, and there were three of us passed out, and there was me, my two best friends, and whatever. And he's like. What are you guys doing? Still sleeping? Like, go get a job. We're like, we're we're thirteen years old. Like, what are we? Doing? I don't. We literally can't get jobs. No one. Like, it's illegal, right? You know, by right. The way um, but but I know I get know kind of what you mean, and like that list of things to do is like you wake up and you, um, all right, cool. Well, if you can't get a job, like here's seventy five things to do around the house. Yeah, go wash Miss Carol's car or whatever it might be. Um, and 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 certainly like hearing how that impacted you kind of later in your life. What, uh, were, when you got, other than getting cut from the baseball team, sort of like, um, surreptitiously maybe, or, or like kind of, there was something going on there. Do you have any of the, was there ever kind of like a sporting example of like, you thought you were going to, maybe you thought you were going to be the starter and somebody else got it. Like, was there any kind of major, major like setback or failing in, in those early days that kind of sticks with you today?
2: You know, honestly, not. I think part of my story, um, part of the 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 main thing, is the, of how little I failed in kind of those formative years, and that 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 made life a lot of fun. But it was also kind of a mischaracterization of what life yeah. after that season would actually be like. And so, in some ways, um, I felt when I started going coming across some real challenges, particularly in a professional life. Um, The absence of some meaningful failures um, left me a little bit ill-equipped to deal with some of those things later on. And so, like I said, it was great, and uh, it was kind of like an amazing thing, a season of life to to deal with. But um, whereas some of my peers had some, you know, significant challenges and setbacks, I think those served them well, and I think my, you know, my lessons came a little bit later.
1: So, like, kind of, you got into a place where you reach an inflection point in your life, and you're like all right, cool. Well, I can make a choice here. I can either like have peaked in high school because <laughs> yeah. easy, or I can like figure out how to work through these challenges. Is that kind of like what you're saying? I think
2: part, I think part of it, I think that there's a, a certain amount of um, self-reliance um, or just a, just a, um, a worldview that's, that's inaccurate. Like um, you just kind of overestimate your own abilities mm-hmm. and, and that i think that when you get put into a different context and you realize that on pure talent alone like you're not all that um Mm -hmm. you got you you got work to do so i think that for me um i didn't handle that particularly well um but it was a necessary part of just my maturation it's not just a professional just as a human being yeah, um, and I, like kind I'm, of an
1: emotional maturity in a sense. Yeah,
2: and, and I'm grateful for it. Um, I mean, I had, my childhood was amazing. Um, and do I wish I had more failures? Not necessarily. I mean, I just I – just everything happens when it's supposed to happen. So um, – That makes perfect sense. You yeah. know,
1: for somebody – so you uh, – especially – I'd imagine it's interesting because I've had several folks on here who played high school football and talk so much about how that formed them or helped form them. Um, Kevin Nolan talked a lot about that and hit, you know, the impact that it had on him from a teamwork perspective. Um, same with Ted Alling, like, you know, Ted talked about playing, um, I think Kevin was like a linebacker and it fits Kevin's personality. Ted was an offensive lineman and he talked about how that was sort of, you know, the, the unsung hero of a team can be the, like the guys who work in those trenches, You were the high school. You were the high school quarterback in Texas. Like it doesn't probably get much more prolific and high high profile than that. But you still talked about sort of the team dynamic and element of that. Without sort of having the counterfactual of being one of those grit guys, do you? But obviously, you had to be close. You you know, I'm sure you're still friends with folks from that you played with, or maybe you're not still friends with them. And I'm sure you were friends with them for some time do you think that has impacted you differently than maybe because you were the, you were the quarterback and to your point about sort of the false, the false positive of how great you are as, in context of the team. Do you think that that was something that you had a different experience than maybe other folks did kind of carrying forward? Hey, there's a team. Well, there There's a head of the snake, if you will. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. It's a snake and it's got to move as one sort of like body or unit. And I hate snakes by the way. So this, It's creeping me out just giving this analogy. But, you know, there's there's still a head of the snake versus other guys are sometimes like it's one snake because, you know, we're all pulling in the same direction. It's okay if you say no, by the way. I won't feel like an asshole. I
2: I think for me it was where I I got validation, and this even goes back earlier on. It was just – was that there was natural leadership coming through both in sports and then in other other things. And so people are like, hey – Um, that was, um, acknowledged and validated early on. So I think part of like, I never really saw like my, my value being like, there's, there were lots of better football players than me. My, my, my contribution that that was, I was a leader. I could bring people together and go. And, and so I I don't think that I ever really, my identity was never really in my abilities as a player necessarily. It was more just that I had some giftings that I, I could help the team go where it needed to go. And so I think for me, I always kind of felt that there was a much broader application for those skills. I just didn't really know what they were. Interesting.
1: What was it? So, you know, somebody who plays, I'm going to stay on the football thread for a minute and I hope this doesn't bore people, sure. but I did get Matt Vogrich and Molo to cry by talking about college basketball. So like, I'll try this with you. Um, uh you know so you play high school a, you you play you play high school football under the friday night lights it's a big thing you go to play college football but you said you only played for a year and then you you took a step back from football what did that what did that feel like failure did that feel like a setback did that or like why did you step back or you know maybe you go from having all of the success getting you know be, being able to play in college most people oh. can't do that what was that experience like
2: for you? I, I think that the football in college for me really it just gave me an extension to buy time. Really, I mean, I knew I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to the NFL. I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm like that. I don't have that ability, um, and just going to a random school in Iowa. It was more just about an experience. I just wanted to use football as a way to go do something unique. Um, you know, no judgment. I ended up going back. I just didn't want to go to a standard state school and fall into that pattern uh, like everyone else. I eventually went to UT uh, Austin and, and graduated from there. But for whatever reason, I think I just needed an experience. And football provided me the you know, the bridge to go do that. And I think I think the main thing I can remember my uncle. It was it was it was painful. And um, I, when I told him I was I was going to transfer and, and and not play ball, um, a lot of my family I mean that's that's what they did for fifteen years just watching me play ball like my extended family, and, right. and it's like you'll never play again. He was like so disappointed in that, and so I do think my only really regret is just from a maturity standpoint. Like, it wasn't really until my senior year that I actually could start, like, put on weight. I was kind of like, it was very difficult for me to add. Yeah, like, I never had mass. that problem. <laughs> so Different so think, types of weight, but yeah, I get what you mean. So I, I think just the curiosity of just kind of uh, walking away, I probably would have been, I think for me, I felt responsible to the coaches that had invested in me. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be here for four, full four years. And they need to know from a recruiting standpoint. Because I was going to be the slot, the the starter for the next year. I just kind of felt, I don't know. I just, I felt it was uh, uh, inconsiderate of their time and resources for for me to not be forthcoming and to say, "Hey, this is where my expectations are. I'm I'm not going to be here, so I want to let you guys know so y'all can do what you need to do from a recruiting standpoint." And so, um, but I do regret not you know, all the work they put into it and then not continue to kind of stay on that track just physically and from a performance because I still stay in shape. I still like to do athletic things. And so I think that's the regret. And I'm sure people feel that on a business standpoint. It's like, you want to see how good you can get just for that. And it's not even like for anybody else's knowledge. It's just for your own personal knowledge. How good can I actually be? Right. And so I right. think just that's the one thing that walking away from the game and still to this day, I still wonder about that. But that's probably the hardest thing.
1: I think you could have made the NFL, and as somebody who my, my
2: mom, went, my mom thought I was the next Flutie, so
1: um, there you go. You have a similar build to Flutie. I could yeah. see that. <laughs> um, uh, as somebody who somebody went directly, who directly, directly to a state school. I won't take it personally the dig on going to a state school uh, uh, to come out of come out of school, but um, one of the things I've always liked about you, Spencer, is that you're just your 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 positivity. Like you exude positivity in a way that's kind of unlike many other folks i think that's something you have in common with ted for uh ted alley you just you have this positivity about you and and as we talked about kind of like your early days there was success in there obviously and like you didn't have a lot of challenges but, but even as you kind of look back on it you've talked about it in a very um and i hope this i hope this siren isn't for you hey, I'm uh it's 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 cool um I just if they're coming for you we might have to reschedule the recording of the rest of this podcast but um you've always had this kind of positivity uh in in, in my experiences with you and in, in your uh in in describing this you've kind of put everything in a very positive light have you always had that did you have to learn sort of to be positive and if and if and in in either context like where does this kind of like Spencer Tenney positivity kind of come from? And also maybe it's maybe I'm wrong. Are you actually like that in real life? No. <laughs> or just in the times you interact with me?
2: No, I, I would say so. And I I think a lot of it comes from um my family. Um, and, and probably once one major life event. So I can remember when I was eight years old, um, my dad had um, very successful transportation company, and um, kind of like something out of a movie. He had a business partner, literally emptied all the bank accounts and left the country, bankrupted our family. Oh, and 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 I mean, it was like you know to, to you know for my dad, I almost never saw him. He was working twenty four seven, much like our industry peers do all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I didn't really have a, a relationship with him, and so two things came out of that that were profoundly impactful on me. Um, number one, my dad used this. It was, he looked at this as a kind of a moment of grace on him. He was on a path that he basically was choosing business over family hmm. and it was a chance to reset for him. Hmm. And so, um, despite the damage that that did to our family and the stress that that did, um, almost immediately. And, and even the 35 plus years since then, he's, used, he's looked at that event with gratitude and that saved my family basically. And, and even at the same time, you know, my dad was totally rocked. Um, and who, anyone who's, who suffered a major business loss, I mean, just kind of like overwhelmed. What mm-hmm. do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And my mom stepped up and he, and, and very, and, and demonstrated, extreme unexpected strength for us. And so she just kind of gathered up my brother and I was just like, hey, boys, it's going to be an adventure. And um, that's kind of been a a theme for our whole life, for our family and legacy. Um, It's it's from from a gratitude and from an adventure. And so as an entrepreneurial family, even since then, high highs, low lows, Mm -hmm. um, a gratitude and with a perspective, this is like, what a privilege. To be actually doing something doing work that's meaningful that matters um detached from the outcome and um it's a beautiful thing for that i'm, I'm for that perspective um you know eternally grateful it's the it's interesting to hear you say at the end there, detached,
1: detached from the outcome C- can you
2: explain what you mean by that i think what what i observed um Growing up, there were times um, where our family had a lot of money, and there was times where we had no money.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then, the, by definition of success, um, by building value in companies, of like what my dad had done, the cost of which that placed on our family did not seem equitable <laughs> to, to you know, to, to to what he was getting in return for that. And yeah. so, and so, I think. For, for me, as far as like, you want to go do work, you would do some things and detach from the outcomes because really in this, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of folks that talk about this, but really it is the process. I mean, if you love what you do, if you're bringing value to people, um, the results kind of come and it may not look what, like how you expect them to, but I just think that that's what life is. And if you're doing that, you're keeping in the moment, both relationally, um, and, and, and just, your life. And so I, I, to me, that's what I mean by that as far as detaching from the outcome is um, do your absolute best. And then, um, you know, my dad, uh, very strong man of faith, but I mean, he's kind of instilled in us this Colossians 3.23, which is whatever you do, do it heartily, like your best as to the Lord, not not on demand, which is just like, hey, I'm not responsible to anybody but a higher authority. And so I'm just going to do my best. And then whatever man says about it, that's, that's, that's another deal. And so, um, that's,
1: that, that kind of like, that's a good, uh, that's an interesting frame. It's something that I've been struggling with kind of recently myself in a manner of speaking. And what I think is kind of interesting in the way you describe that is it's a, what's interesting in the way that you described it is that it, it, it's both focused on, right now and what you can control and the kind of the universe around you but without but without becoming sort of transactional in that in the in the in in the implementation of that i think like a lot of folks are like i live in the moment and like i'm only focused on today but then it becomes very short-sighted and transactional and they're focused on sort of like short-term outcomes at the expense of the longer term. And what I'm hearing you say is like, focus on the inputs, focus on what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it and trust and and like make sure that they're the right things. And trust that the long-term outcomes will come from the, the right inputs, as opposed to trying to focus on tying the inputs to the outputs in a in a temporal fashion. Is that kind of a good conceptualization of what you're saying?
2: I mean, I think so. I I think part of it is just on a deeper And this. I'm not here to, um, to preach, but, but quite honestly, like where does that freedom come from? It's like, well, if you believe that your value comes from a higher power, then, then, you know, then you don't place as much Mm -hmm. currency on. Did I grow my business? Did I do these things? I'm trying to do all these things, but that, but my identity, that's not who I am. That's what I do. But who I am and like where my value comes, it's from a different place. I think that
1: makes a ton of sense. When I I, like starting kind of reframing, who do you ultimately answer? Like even if it's not a higher power, even if you're not a religious person, like who actually do I – am I responsible to? Who do I actually have to answer to? It's not – you know, for a lot of folks, for me, it's not my boss. It's not my parents – for me in the stage of life that I am right now, it's my wife. Like my parents will love me no matter what or whatever, you know, as long as I'm not like a serial killer or something. And even then (laughs) they'd actually probably love me. They just wouldn't like what I did, you know, but, but like, I'm, I'm not a bad human. So like whatever the other stuff is, you know, is, is what it is, you know? So to me, it's like, I get up every day and kind of like, okay, well I've got to answer. I, I don't want to look my wife in the eye and tell her, I'm a bad, you know, I'm a bad person or I did a bad thing or, and so, you know, and for some people that's faith. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. Who kind of with that in mind, like who, when you were growing up and then I think from, you know, we'll start to transition sort of more into career and, and, and the rest of your life. But when you were growing up, um, who did you look up to? I've heard you talk a lot about your dad. You know, did you look up to anybody? Did you look up to your dad? Did you look up to anybody else? Who did you want to say like, Hey, Spencer, little Spencer, good job.
2: Well, I would say there's two folks. Um, you know, my, my grandpa, I used to say this all the time, which is like a job worth doing is worth doing right. Mm -hmm. And he would just pound that into my brother and I. And, um, it's one of those things that you don't really appreciate that how simple and effective that is. You always hear about like the, you know, the the greatest generation and how they Mm -hmm. did did life. It's such a basic thing, but, I mean, how true is that? Yeah. Like, if it's worth doing, why aren't you doing it better or at, at, at the highest level that you possibly can? Why would you even do it if you if you weren't committed to do it at that level? Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think that that's um, that's something that's always stayed with me. Probably one of the greatest mentors that I had. I had a a, um, a youth football coach that coached me through fourth through sixth grade, and and his influence on me was profound because he he. The way that he coached me, he placed no limitations. Um, he just said, we're going to run the high school offense. We're, you're in fourth grade. We're going to run spread. We're going to run shotguns. You're going to call audibles at the line, and I believe that you can do it. Although no one, even three years older, was doing like what we were doing. But he just said um, – he just believed in me. And so that impacted me so so much because even now with my team – That's ingrained in me as far as like, I won't be the one that holds you back. Mm -hmm. I will put you in a position to stretch because from my own personal experience, when given the opportunity, I responded and I did things that I couldn't, I didn't really think that I could do on, on my own, but because of the encouragement, because of the belief of someone else that I respected, um, you know, we, we set a lot of, uh, fourth grade, uh, youth football records. And so, um, so it's, a, it's, and I've, I've never still got the trophy that. on your mantle. Yeah. You know? yeah I, I, but, but I mean, I say that all the time. I'll, I'll have, you know, young guys that are so smart, but you know, there are, there are fears. Like am I, am I capable of doing high level M and a work of what we're doing? And what my mission is, is, and this is kind of like just company vision. My, my, you know, where our vision starts is profoundly impacting the lives of, of my employees. And I think that, I can do that through several things, but one of the main things is putting me in positions to stretch, putting them in a position to grow in a way that no one else would give them that opportunity. And if I do that, good things are gonna happen. And that stems through that mentorship going back to fourth grade, of somebody just saying, here are the keys to the truck, mm-hmm. drive, drive. And I can't tell you how- Not
1: literally, obviously.
2: Yeah, yeah. But just in terms of in, in terms of swagger, I mean, you can imagine of like how many decisions I approached after that, where I said, why can't I do that? Of course I can do that.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. Um, There's a lot of leaders who struggle. Like there's a lot of leaders who say to folks, Hey, I want you to stretch. I want you to do more. What's the worst thing that happens, but to stand behind that and actually go like, all right, training wheels off. Like, you know, I used to say to this was a mistake I made earlier in my career. I would say to younger, like I would say to sales reps that I'd hire in my businesses, "Hey, what's the you know? Don't worry about it. Take chances. What's the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happens is you fuck everything up. Like nobody dies. Who cares? <laughs> but but to your point, like then, but I wouldn't I wouldn't walk that walk with them. I would, I would you know sort of, I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily micromanage them, but 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 I would sort of take trust, but verify a little too far instead of being like, Hey, it's cool. Like I want to support you. I'm not saying sink or swim. I'm saying, I believe you can do this. So like go ahead and run with it and let me know how you want to be, how you want to well, be supported, how I can be the best kind of support system for you. I think that's an interesting and, choice.
2: Yeah. And, and there's, there's certainly been instances where, you know, I've offered too much leash. And it's um, and you're like, well, whoa, whoa, we gotta bring that back. And, and it's not like a negative thing because I'm owning that. I gave you mm-hmm. that. That's not you, that's me. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And so like, I' just gotta bring it back in. You're okay. We just gotta quit a little bit more, and then we'll get back out and we'll keep stretching.
1: Yeah, so, right. Um, it's not the end of the world. It's no big deal. Like we'll figure it out and like we'll figure it out together, and I'll look for the ways in which, as opposed to looking for blame, I'm gonna like to blame, hey, blaming you, hey, here are the ways in which you fucked up your point it's like hey i gave you the like i didn't do these three things that i should have done let's let's adjust those things and let's try this thing again you know yeah. and i think that's that makes sense so when you got into college you, you went
2: to ut you studied something question mark yeah i i, I studied uh i studied public communication i kind of had aspirations there was uh, that was when um that show the west wing was really big i kind of yeah. saw myself as like uh Behind the scenes, uh, speechwriter on the Hill, um, and so I, I went down that road for a while and worked at the Capitol and turned over there and. Oh, really? Uh, was it anything like Aaron Sorkin made it seem in The West Wing? Um, well, not at the Texas State Capitol. Uh, so <laughs> it was. It was definitely different issues uh, were were, param- were paramount in I can Texas imagine, so, when yes. that were presented on that show. But um, that was a wonderful experience, just learning about the process. But I think like everything on TV. It's so glamorized and you get a little, you know, like this is much slower than what I thought it was. And, uh, especially TV the way, especially the way he they him look awesome in TV. is like, this yeah. is not really what I thought it was. A lot
1: of banter, a lot of, a lot of wit back and forth. Oh, for yeah. sure. Uh, so when you, what was your, um, like what was your first job? Not like either out of school or growing up, like when did, when did you have your first job and what was it?
2: Um well all kinds of odd jobs, but my first real job coming out of college. So I went or like um, did you
1: wait if you waited tables or something? I don't know. Did
2: No, I did I mean I mean you name it. I mean I was I mean going back to thirteen, I mean I started doing janitorial services for my dad's offices at thirteen um to buy my seventy-nine Ford pickup truck of which I still own. Oh, uh, nice. And so uh kept kept it in the family. Uh But, you know, from that to driving ranges to waiting tables um, to to a little bit of everything. But ultimately, I went and um, worked for my dad for a few years after college, and he paid me almost no money. And um, but what what I got out of that experience was just a ridiculous amount of access to do a lot of different things. Um what what did the business do? and what what did you do? I mean, primarily, I worked in marketing at that time. And so it was one of those things where, like, hey, I'm just gonna let you run the marketing department. What's the budget? There's no budget. You're just gonna have to freestyle. And um, and so I think that that just required a very scrappy uh, creativity at a very early age of of doing that. And um, you know as part of that it was learning sales, I was getting a little bit more involved in sales. But ultimately, I got so frustrated with my dad because I was like, "Hey, I want to progress. I want to. I can't do that unless I learn how to sell and mm-hmm. and and I need you to teach me." And he's like, "Teach what? I'm like I don't know how to do what I do. I just do it." And mm-hmm. um, and for me, that was not um, helpful. And mm-hmm. I just knew like I can't go anywhere. Uh, we don't have any infrastructure to provide the type of training that's going to allow me to bring value to the company. And so, um, much like I advocate for a lot of family-owned companies, I went out and worked at a large company, um, and um, was in the healthcare in a physician recruiting company. And it was that was a profound experience for me because you know about a thousand employees, you got very um, specific structures, and. Um, strong mentors that helped travel with, that we went and did calls with. You're working with CEOs of um, large hospital systems. And um, what was great about it was it provided a vision for me just in terms of the workflows that would ultimately come back a few, 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 year, um, a few years later, coming back to Tender Group and bringing all of that experience, um, integrating it into how we did business. So that was a, a huge thing for my personal development and my growth from a training standpoint and i say it all the time for family businesses if you're not doing that if you're not like by design sending some of your family members to go out and get different types of experience like it's a huge miss um because you can only learn so much within an operation and the typical i mean you're gonna you're gonna share what you know and what you've experienced but that's pretty limiting if you want to use your family members to go next level next level Especially, yeah, if it's all that they've ever known, yeah. I mean, yeah. right. I mean, there's, there's not much to draw upon. I mean, no disrespect, my. I mean, my dad had just a, a lifetime of sales experience. He just couldn't teach it, and could, we could and at least not cost effectively or efficiently to me. I mean, that's
1: all we would be doing. Some of the best doers and creators don't understand their process. I mean, it's a rare. It, it's interesting. I mean, in, you know, we see this all the time in businesses. Especially, say I think sales is probably the 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 role where you see it the most. But but just regardless of what the role is, the highest performing individual contributors rarely make the best managers. I mean, data just shows that, right? And so sales is a good wow. example of that you make your best salesperson a sales manager. That that's that doesn't mean that they're just because they know how to they just because they are good at selling doesn't mean they actually know how to sell. Doesn't mean that they understand their process and can't teach it to other folks. That's true usually across organizations. And because it, you know, it's, and obviously a lot of it comes from, uh, well, you know, just uh, uh, some natural uh, abilities. But so, you know, to your point earlier about how great could you ever be at something, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has a ceiling for any given thing. Like I'm never going to be LeBron. I love to play basketball. I'm never going to be LeBron. I'm never going to be magic. I'll never be MJ. I'll never be Kareem. I'll never be any of those guys. And not just because I'm not, you know, just be, not just cause I'm only six, three, like they're just, that's their thing. That's the thing that yeah. they're the best at. You know, I'll never be Derek Rose. Derek Rose is the same height in me and I'll never, you know, I'll never be Derek Rose, but um, you know, and but that I still like my ceiling is probably higher than I ever reached when it came to hoops and my ceiling for lots of things. And so, you know, kind of that that experience of being curious and, and finding your ceiling is an interesting one, because um, it sounds like you've done that a couple of different times. You've kind of been so like, hey, how far can I push this? How far can I go? Does that? Do you think that comes from that experience of kind of having the keys at <laughs> in fourth grade and like drive the truck, don't crash it because the cops will come, even if it's Friday Night Lights, or um,
2: or do you think it comes from somewhere else? No, I think, I mean, I'm not sure where it comes from. I think that there's certainly a, um, um, I just kind of always had a desire to kind of push limits. And that comes out in different ways. But um, yeah, I, I think there's just a kind of a natural desire to compete. Part of that's from sports. You want to compete, you want to be the best. But I think on an individual level, I just, you know, I just want to know that I'm, Growing, I think that's yeah. that's the main deal. Of this, I think that you talk about fear. You talk about whatever. I think a fear is something failure. It's it's as much as stagnation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be stagnant in what I'm doing. Does that and, is that
1: kind of like today your definition of failure? Would that is is just like st- is stagnation? I mean, given kind of how you described the ebbs and flows growing up of your dad's businesses, like you've seen boom and bust. So, you know, it kind of seems like your conception of failure might be a little bit different because the business failing isn't failure in and of itself. Because, you know, there's a life after that, it sounds like. Right. So would that, how would you define failure today?
2: No, I, I think that. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's several. I mean, there's just obviously if you fail, you fail. I mean, you don't have to like dress it up, like you screw something up or you don't get a deal done or whatever.
1: But that's you not fail. failure with a fail. capital yeah. F, right? Like, I mean, right. that's what people are worried about. People are worried about failure with a capital F. Right. And, and the, the problem, sometimes they, you know, sometimes they think cap failure with a lowercase F by default means cap failure with a capital F. And I think yeah. what I'm noticing from you is that your – your story is one where like failure was a thing that just kind of happened. You threw interceptions, right? Like you took sacks you shouldn't have taken, you know, your dad's business partner ran off. By the way, did they ever catch the guy or like that? No, get resolved? literally. No. Oh, wow. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, like, the, the dad's businesses fail. Sometimes it was things he did. Sometimes it was crazy shit that you never could have seen. So you've seen a lot of failures with a lowercase F, but like your dad still was a very successful man. He had, you know, in, in many facets, not just in business, in his life, right, in family development, etc. Right. So you kind of, you have a understanding that lowercase F failure doesn't mean capital F failure, right? So like not doing the business deals is lowercase F failure, but that doesn't mean that it's capital F failure. So for you, do you understand, kind of see what I'm going for?
2: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I I, I think it's never been transactional for me. Mm-hmm. and. Otherwise, I think that we would probably do like investment banking. We would target different types of deals. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that because, like I said, if it was just transactional, then we would cut everything off that was below two hundred million in annual revenue. And you know, you know, people that are hearing that they're saying it's not easy. It's like, well, it's in some ways it is Um, if you're just purely transactional. And Mm -hmm. and so, like for me, success um, or or, or when talking about failure uh, as i see it i think i think part of it is like shrinking it's one thing to like fail but to shrink to not do to realize or even try to realize your full potential i think that's kind of failing for me um when i'm working with nonprofits, that's that's a big deal like hey like y'all have any like together like we're not even we haven't even touched or even like the surface of what our potential is like we have to We have to think bigger. We have to um, innovate. And at least of all, we can't shrink. And, and, you know, so I think that's kind of my default mentality is like be growing, be pushing limits and just um, activate whatever that is. I mean, like do something. And because if you're not doing anything, um, that's I just don't have a high tolerance for that. That's where I'm going to get upset with myself, my team, anybody else one of my
1: favorite phrases is it doesn't matter if um, it's okay to do the wrong thing, just do something. Like, if you know that it's wrong, like, like if you know, Hey, this is not going to, you know, this is not going to work or this is wrong or whatever. Don't do it. But otherwise like, don't do, do something, take, take action, be, be a participant, you know? So I love that. Yeah. you said growing up was relatively easy. We're getting into your career now, obviously. Like you said, growing up was easy, and you kind of your first major challenges came in your career. So, like, what what's maybe the first major challenge that you recall from from your career that, that you kind of had to say, step back and say, okay, well, I could have now now I could have peaked in high school, or I could have I could, or I could figure out how to deal with these things.
2: I think what was different about uh, I had a major misunderstanding really probably the first 10 years of my professional life. Whereas in sports, I mean, nobody works for anybody. Everybody's there together on their own accord. And so mobilizing and leading, um, you know, it's just something, it's about influence. You have to mm-hmm. influence them to do something. And so somewhere along the way, I confuse like influence with authority. Like they should just be doing this. Like this, this they should be lucky to be here like mm-hmm. to have a job to be. And, and I think this, that was um, a period of time where for whatever reason, I, um, became ineffective as a leader, primarily because I misunderstood how to manage relationships and how to drive influence within a team, uh, outside of like a sports environment, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, or, or maybe forgot how to do it. And so, and, the result of that was a lot of relationships became transactional when they shouldn't have been. And so I think ultimately I got humbled a lot because like, why is this not working? Why is this not working? Why don't people work as hard as I do? Da, 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 da. And it's um, a so really ultimately, after a series of just, you know, working with people and not, Um, achieving the results, not having the chemistry within, um, relationships within a team, you know, that's just something Just kind of had to, this to, uh, walk away. And, and, and it was kind of more of a heart transformation to say, you know, when you're talking about success, it's like, Hey, I want to, I want to have redefined how I'm looking at success. I need to redefine the way that I look at my employees. It's like my company success has to be driven by their success. Like mm-hmm. I've got it backwards. I have to kind of um, re-en- uh, re-engineer how I think about this. And so basically probably going back to, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, um, a process began to change. And it's funny. I, I've told people this, that really like i developed some really bad habits. And so I kind of started taking like the, the the George Costanza opposite George uh, approach yeah. was like whatever, whatever my natural instinct. You got a was job in with that, the New
1: York Yankees. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was like, whatever my natural instinct is, whatever I'm feeling, I'm doing the exact opposite of that right now, and um and it was funny. It literally started working, and mm. um, and, all, and and really, what it, what needed to happen and what ultimately happened, it was more of a heart transformation for me. Mm-hmm. It was um I had a it was more of a heart problem and just the way that I was caring for the folks around me. And, you know, I get that. um, I mean, that's a God thing. God working on me and humbling me and what needed to happen. And so once some of those changes took place, like I said, that's that's not like an overnight deal. I think that's a hard learning process of um, underperforming, not necessarily failing as much as just like, hey, this is way too much energy for this amount of output. Way too much energy. What is happening? And so um, when when I think in God's loving kindness, provided me a little bit of truth and clarity there. Um, Things really started to change for Tenny Group and from just for me and how I related to people.
1: That's interesting. You know, the genesis of this podcast, and I was sharing this with you right before we kind of started recording the genesis of this podcast came from me going through a process for myself of trying to understand certain things. And it's actually exactly what you just described like influence versus authority versus leadership, you know, I'm a very effective, I'm a very effective leader. If I don't have some, if you don't didn't report to me, right. Because, (laughs) because I invested in, because I, because I had all, all I had was influence or relationship. Right. And, and I, I care very deeply about people and I, whether they reported to me or not, but I didn't, tell them what to do. I, I treated them very differently. And so I went through this process of doing what I do on this podcast, which was just, I talked to fucking everybody about all kinds of different things and just tried to learn about their lives and how they went through things. And, and when I would hit on something like exactly this point, I would ask them, you know, well, what was your process for trying to figure that out? So what was, you know, so you identified this problem, it sounds like you you spent time sort of like soul searching and, and like, the, the, you know, and leaning back on your faith. Did Was there like, was there a process for yourself to kind of figure that out and and, and change beyond maybe just, even if it's just taking us, what I heard you definitely say was I took a step back and I would say, before I would react, I would give myself some emotional distance from a thing and I'd say, all right, wait a minute. Instead mm-hmm. of just continuing to kind of move through my life, wait, I got to take a step back and look at the thing I'm considering. That's one yeah. part of the process. Was that all of it? Or was there more in there that you kind of said, okay, here's how I'm going to attack. Maybe you didn't do it consciously at the time, but looking back on it, hey, here's how I attacked that to really change that, identify it, change it, implement it in my life.
2: No, I mean, that's a good question. And and um, I'm in a mastermind group and I actually kind of walk our group through this um, fairly recently, and and what this looked like for me, um, there's a progression here. And so for me, what I what I understood was that I needed to put the interest of others first. And so what I started doing, in the same way that you would schedule a sales call or some type of revenue producing activity, I just said I'm going to start bringing value, and I'm going to start, met- and I'm just going to start scheduling. This is what I'm going to do detach from the outcome. And that's just, I'm just going to schedule that in part of how I'm going to do business and how I'm going to do life. And I would quantify like, these are the things I'm going to do this. And it was, um, it was a part of kind of developing a muscle within me that needed exercise. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening when I started doing this activity, um, what ended up happening was, um, I started developing what what forced at first it wasn't natural. Then it's over time it started becoming habit forming. And it was almost like a reflex like of what mm-hmm. was going on. So you start having like behavior modification. And then when it became when I just could easily identify the needs around me and, and have a desire to do that, what, what ended up started happening was you know, you have a habit forming, and then when the habit started forming, what really started happening was a heart transformation. So like that didn't happen overnight, but there was a system mm-hmm. in terms of how it happened, which was I'm going to do these things because I feel like I should be doing these things. And then after a while, I didn't didn't even have to try. It was like a reflex. And then after that, my motivation for doing them was totally different. Totally different. Mm -hmm. That's what we
1: talked about earlier. It's like you, you, you focus on the inputs and you trusted that the outputs long-term would be what you were looking for.
2: Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it started out like, Hey, it's like, maybe, I, I think this will probably develop good business. It's probably gonna help me be a better leader. And then ultimately, what you have is um, you know, a changed heart and a, and a totally different reason for why you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to me that was transformative. Um, um, it's pretty basic in terms of love your neighbor. I mean, it's pretty basic. I mean, in terms of just a model, uh, of, there's of, like
1: 10 lists. There's a list of 10 of those things, I think. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so like, it's pretty basic. Um, but you know, it's just, but I'm, I'm so grateful for having gone through that process and what has been revealed to me through that, because, uh, I told somebody the day, I was like, especially in my business where it's like really long sales cycles, like how mm-hmm. wonderful it is it to kind of fill up the buckets in between relationally you and I mixing it up and, uh, help one another or whatever it is. I mean, how much richer does that make life in the meanwhile? Totally. And, and, um, so, To me, that was the process. I mean, it it sounds kind of basic, but it really was by design. And I didn't really know how I would evolve, but it certainly has happened.
1: An interesting part of your story is how you came to like, you know, to lead Tenny Group and take over Tenny Group. Um, Can you kind of like maybe share with us what that looked like? I mean, you can't, you worked at Tenny you worked at the Tenny Group with your dad, you left to kind of get this sales experience, you came back, you brought that to bear. And then how did you come to be in the role you are in today?
2: So um, I have been working and my dad and I were doing deals kind of on our own with our separate teams. And and back in 2010, um, he provided me a partnership track, which I would earn equity in the business based on performance. Um, and which took place, which was fine. And then, but during that process, I think what what happened was, I mean, he was looking at this as part of kind of insurance for his retirement, basically, um, and to lock me in. I mean, so I didn't um, go off and do whatever. But um, ultimately, I, I kind of fell in love. I mean, that was the the deal was like being able to help business owners at that level. To me, it is the ultimate. It's the ultimate challenge from a sales standpoint, if that's what you're into. But to on the human level, to help somebody realize the fruits of their life's work. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm um, biased, but I, I feel like in terms of meaningful work, like I can't imagine doing anything that that I felt had more meaning than that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was that was kind of a drug when I started doing deals. I was like, I was I'm in help these people like that. And and knowing that we bring something unique to the table, like I'm in, but what was different when we were working together and we were partners. Um, and this is true of all of our clients, um, family businesses, and even just partners, just like very different visions for the future. You know, my Mm -hmm. dad is just like, um, loves doing it, but like, Hey, as far as, uh, aiming it up and, and scaling and, um, doing all kinds of things that I wanted to do. Um, I don't really think that that's why well, I know that like he liked the idea of it. It's like, but he didn't want to be on the hook to go execute those things to mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the stagnation thing for a couple of years, we kind of were stagnating because we were not investing and in growing and keeping the pedal down to go, um, realize our full potential. And that was creating some problems for my dad and I. And, um, and my dad and I have a really, really great relationship. And uh, and one thing that's kind of funny is that people around us know, like, um, he's like, I've always been harder on my dad than, than he is on me. And that sounds like, like crazy, but like, that's just like the nature of, of how we've, I don't mean like disrespectful, just like, Hey, like, it's never been like where my dad's like, Hey, this is the way it is, son. Like he's very uh, humble and, and, um, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm very blessed to have my dad for sure. But from a business standpoint, we, we really operated kind of as equals. Um, and, and so I think that what needed to happen was that we needed a way for the business to realize the full potential. And in order to do that, we had to get our goals aligned. And the only way to do that was for me to buy him out. And so mm-hmm. I think for a lot of folks, the... That are in family business, the resistance from the founder is like, well, I don't. I'm just going to get pushed out of here, and you know, yesterday's news. While this thing goes on, it was very open in terms of like, I was like, that was not my desire at all. It's like I have a very specific vision, and what I want to do for you is like, I want to put you in a position to only do the things that you want to do, and then share your 50 years of knowledge to help me go do all the things that I want to do without making all the mistakes, and so. Um, and, you know, think about being able to leverage your experience across five times the business size of like what that will mean from an impact. That's what I want. And so um, for us, it was, um, you know, it, it was a pretty amazing thing. We continue to work together. He, he works how and when he wants to work, um, but he's a deal guy. I mean, you'll never get him away from deals. Sure, but, sure. Um, but what's also kind of cool about the story, probably four months after I bought him out, he was in – uh, a significant motorcycle accident, and which had we not done what we were going to do, uh, would have been pretty disruptive. I mean, because, uh, you know, my deal was this I don't even care if like I have all the shares I said, I just want control. Had we, you know, had we not done that, and he was still the controlling partner when he was incapacitated, uh, it would have been very damaging, most damaging probably to our employees because I don't I would have probably had to make some pretty severe um decisions about
1: is he okay uh, now
2: oh he's fine he's fine he's okay. I mean he was okay. he was out for Jesse about thing. yeah no I mean he was out for about six months and I mean and literally you know he'll tell you um about how grateful he is um to be living and you know what what a great life but it's been amazing. I mean I've had the benefit of working with my dad 20 plus years and still working, and when we're talking to families, I always tell them like, hey, I'm the biggest advocate of the internal family transfer that you're gonna see. Like, If there's a way to do it, I wanna help you do that, irrespective of if we if, if, if tenure group's involved and, and, and can somehow uh, be compensated for that, because it's a beautiful thing, but the reality is for a lot of folks, it's, it's not in the cards. And so I think that what we try to do out there is to share what we've experienced um, what we've done right, what we've done wrong. But but for the most part, the same things that we advocate for folks out there, like we did the same process about how to go execute and ensure that, you know, doing what's best for the business, doing what's best for the, uh, for the people that work there, but also doing what's best for our family.
1: Yeah, you can speak very authentically to that.
2: Yeah. Would,
1: what was that, that, was that a scary sort of like process or conversation to have? I mean, all of a sudden you're going to take on this thing that, you know, that, that, that your family has built, um, that you built alongside your dad. Um, suddenly now you're the guy, like, what would that have meant? Like to you, you know, one of the things we talked about on early on is, well, like the, the fear of success and the fear of failure in that, like, what if, you know, I'm sure your dad might've dealt with fear of success, but like, did you say, okay, well, if this fails suddenly, like I've let my dad down in addition to like letting down my business partner, did you deal with kind of the like, Hey, he's been doing this for 50 years. And like, who am I to say I know how to do it better imposter syndrome type stuff? Or did that not kind of enter into the calculus? Were you so sure you kind of had the the plan?
2: I think that the, the most intimidating thing for me, um, I felt from a technical standpoint that I could go execute and do the things that I wanted to do. But the one thing that my, from this is like a legacy thing with my dad. My dad has a, the ability both with the people that he works with, but also our clients to just have this ex- extreme trust. Um, and it's kind of like a super, it's like a superpower basically. Mm-hmm. And where we get to the point where they're just like, it's very, um, uh, heated moment within a deal and decisions are, I mean, everything's on the wire and he's looking at them and is saying, Hey, I'm telling you, this is the way it's gotta be. You just gonna have to trust me on this one. And they say, and they say, I'm in. And so yeah. I think that, I think that where my fear was, is am I going to be able to do, am I going to be able to garner that same trust when in the moments where that's what's required um, being younger, being less experienced than my dad. So I think that those are kind of some of the fears, um, you know, that I had, because I'd seen him operate at such a high level. Um, and though we have different strengths, but I think that one in particular is like, I've always kind of marveled at, like, that's a really, really rare gift. And if I can't do that, how else am I going to find a way to get it done? And, um, sure. so, but I think my dad is, um, He's been a great encourager. I think that's another one of his gifts. and so I think that he's encouraged like you don't have to do everything the same way. you can still get excellence a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be. I mean we're just different people. Have you seen him with this cowboy hat? I mean, it's just different and like <laughs> um, and I love that about him, but I think definitely and, and still like you want to honor him, you want to honor the people that have done business with us you honor our employees and make sure stuff c- continues to get done at a high level. so
1: Everybody has a superpower. I talk about that a lot, actually. And and when I interview folks, I ask them, "I'm like, what what's your superpower?" And and uh, certainly, like I I like to tell people what my, I I will tell people in the moment, like that's my superpower. Apparently, I have like a bunch of them because I'll say it a lot. <laughs> um, um, what's your what, what's your superpower? I think everybody has one. What's yours?
2: You know, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, I think part of uh, uh, maybe a gift is um, um, I'm a pretty good activator when if if things need to get done, kind of mobilizing groups around action. Um, Sure. I think that's that's something. I think my wife would say something like, "You have a a very unique ability to kind of disregard what everybody else is thinking about you (laughs) at that at that moment and just kind of doing your thing." (laughs)
1: a backhanded compliment
2: but yeah yeah, okay yeah i think that's that's what she would say it's kind of like this um ignorance is bliss type thing like whatever okay um but but honestly i i whether it's a superpower or not i do feel like I'm, i'm grateful for that because i understand how some people have such anxiety worrying about what other people think um and i think that A lot about how I do life is that for whatever reason, that's never been a huge part about how I do life. I don't really think a ton and don't sweat a ton about what other people think about it.
1: Yeah. I I once asked my wife why she fell in love with me, you know, like above everything else. Cats, tacos are things that we have in common. Love of cats, love of tacos. Uh, That's why we moved to Texas. But but her answer, which I expected her to say, but her answer was that I am who I am and I don't really care what people think about it. Like, this is me. This is what you get. There's good to it. There's bad to it. I know that just as well as you do, but I don't fucking care if you don't like it. You know, so I think that's along the lines, very similar sort of, um, I want people to like me. I'm not like actively trying to make people dislike me. That's
2: what I'm saying. is like, like I hope they do, but it just doesn't occur to me to stay up at night thinking about it. Um, Well, to
1: you, that's kind of the different, like you were talking about earlier. I mean, it's the same concept of like, focus on your inputs, focus on what you're doing, what you can control, what... What folks like, so so like, are you kind? Right? Like, are you like, do you follow up with people like the things that you can control that you think make you a good friend, partner, teammate, board member, whatever it might be. And then if they don't like the way you're going about it, like, sorry, sorry. I mean, I, you know, when I got out of school, people were always like, shave your beard. I mean, even to this day, it's like, shave your beard. Ryan, shave, get rid of your beard. Nobody's going to take you seriously professionally if you don't shave your beard. And my reaction was always, if somebody doesn't want to do business with me because of my beard or because of my person, I don't want to do business with that person anyway. Right. You know, that's my choice. Like, it doesn't change who I am as a human being. But uh, so I think that's 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 definitely interesting. One kind of like, second p- penultimate question second to last question give me um, give me an example of a time when maybe like in this journey you were just plain lucky like you you kind of you made a decision it could have sunk the ship or or maybe even you didn't make a decision but something happened some outside forces a lot maybe like when you're not to this extreme, but when the guy <laughs> the guy steals the money from your dad and takes off was there situations like that in your journey where you were just plain lucky and you're like, Oh man, that, that worked out.
2: No, I would say um, yes. um, Several times, but um, one thing I did uh, about four years ago, I started this networking group called Tuesdays with Tinny group in downtown Franklin. And it was just kind of an experiment to provide a different format for networking, smaller groups, we would leverage, you know, share data after the fact to 200 plus folks. And um, I'd serve up lunch and had really no expectations from it. And the lucky part about it is it has directly led to some major hires on our team from a talent standpoint, just from this networking that would have never otherwise. So it's like a total walk on, on faith. It's not even for transportation. It's like for local Mm -hmm. Franklin, and Mm -hmm. but as a byproduct of that, just um, connected to some of the best talent in M and A. Period. um, Mm -hmm. That has literally have transformed the trajectory of our firm, and so like I definitely consider that lucky. You know, Um, um, because you know I'd had no expectations for that. It just kind of happened. But as you know, like you only go as far as your people can take you. And yeah, yeah. I feel that I lucked out and got some of the very, very best doing M&A work in this, in this business.
1: It's good. I mean, it follows, it's you following your own advice of like, do something, right? And like, see yeah. what happens. So last question, final question. Um, well, I guess actually there will be one more, cause I'll be like how can people, you know, if people want to learn more, but, so this is like the last real question. Um, You know, you, you talk to a lot of companies in freight transportation logistics, where do you, you know, kind of like from where you sit, where do you think the industry is going? What are some of the trends that you're really interested in seeing and what should people kind of be keeping an eye on from your perspective?
2: Well, I mean, I think for the most part, uh, at least on the truckload side, you know, very low margin industry. So I think that, um as more challenges come up even with more technology all those things are driving more consolidation because of the challenges you gotta have you gotta have scale to offset just the growing expenses within the industry and just all of the wonderful technology you and i have talked about like you also need scale to fully capitalize on a great deal of that to the full extent um not have to but to fully capitalize you need scale so i think i think there are going to be um, trends towards consolidation. Um, I'm I'm interested uh, in artificial intelligence and the role that it's playing. Um, Not only just just how we do business, and also Mm -hmm. how that's going to affect the way that companies are valued. I mean, is that going to be a significant driver in the future? About the ways, you know, you know how one investor looks at one business versus the other. If the performance is the same, yet this is, you know, highly, you know, AI integrated into what they're doing. Like, how are they going to be viewed from a valuation standpoint? I think that's that's some things that we're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see, and I'm mm-hmm. excited to to kind of be in the middle of that as it's unfolding, but I think largely that you're gonna see um, a lot of rapid transactions take place over the next eight to twelve months. Some of that's tax driven, some of that's just anticipating increase in um, interest interest expenses, but you know, all in all. I think the the main trend is uh, what we're already seeing is just the rise of more innovation, younger, um, visionary talent that are going to bring things to the industry that we've never even thought about. And I think that's the... That's the main thing that, that I think is I was really waiting for, for you to, to
1: say, mind. like you, Ryan, but no, it's Thank cool. You. Fine. I appreciate I that. I,
2: um, I said young talent. I mean, naturally, you know, I was talking about you. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, you were looking at me when you said it. So, but right. like anybody who's listening to the podcast doesn't actually listening to the audio doesn't know that. Uh, no, I'm just joking, but I, I agree with you uh, for sure. Thanks for jumping on with me, chopping it up. Um, if people want to learn more about Tenny Group, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more uh, about what you guys do?
2: Yeah, I mean, the best way is just just get to know us at our website, thetennygroup.com. All kinds of videos and content to kind of understand how and why we do business. Um, But I I tell people all the time, um, we kind of see ourselves as kind of a a clearinghouse. The vast majority of people that start a conversation with us, maybe they had a bad day, I want to sell, and they don't sell for another 15 years. But I would encourage anybody that like whatever excuse that you need or, or or that you have to have a conversation with us, what that leads to is us being able to loop in a, a really robust network of industry subject matter experts for whatever's going on in your life. So that's uh, kind of a unique value add that we bring to the industry. Whatever, you know, However we start a conversation, um, number one, you'll get some value, get some insights, but you'll also get looped into our network of, folks that you can help you no matter where you're at in your, country, uh, your company's life cycle. So just start a conversation. That's uh, You never know what might, might happen. Sure. Check you out on LinkedIn. Check you out
1: on your website. That's pretty much the answer that most people yeah. give, although one guy said, call me on my cell phone. And I was like, you want <laughs> anyone who listens to this podcast to call you on your cell phone. Um, All right, cool. Well, thanks, Spencer. I appreciate you sharing the time with me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, do whatever that stuff is that I'm supposed to say. And, you know, until next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Founder Studio. A couple quick things before you go. We're proudly hosted on the Logistics of Logistics Network. To hear more content from the industry's top leaders in supply chain and logistics, check out the logisticsoflogistics.com. And until next time, onward and upward.